Let me say again a word of welcome to you, and I want to say how glad I am that you are worshiping here with us today. It is a real honor, I want to say, for all of us uh, that you are worshiping with us today. Of all the thousands of other things that you could be watching on your screen right now, you've chosen to worship here with us at Gaston First United Methodist Church, and, and we are honored that you are, are doing that with us. So if you haven't already done so, and I apologize for our technical difficulties earlier with the mic, but if you haven't already done so, find some juice or some bread in your home, and at the end of this message, uh, we want you to celebrate Holy Communion with us. Even though we're separated by distance, the Holy Spirit still binds us all together as one. So let's read together the passage of Scripture that we have today for Peace with Justice Sunday. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 11 through 13. Finally, brothers and sisters, farewell. Put things in order. Listen to my appeal. Agree with one another. Live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit will be with you all. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, we have really missed gathering together with you for in-person worship. And I want you to know that we are taking steps so that we can do that together again. We're going to be starting that, uh, having in-person worship, this coming Thursday night on June the 11th. And in the month of June, we'll be worshiping only uh, in person only on Thursday nights 
because a uh, couple of reasons. We're phasing back into our in-person worship, and on Thursday nights, we, um, we only have a 30-minute worship service, and we don't sing, and uh, we're asking people to um, practice social distancing and to wear masks and to do all the things that we can do. And if you think that, um, that this all sounds like we're being cautious, well, right, we are. But I want you to know that we're being cautious out of love for all of you. We want to keep your well-being and everyone's well-being in mind. And when, whenever you choose to join us uh, again for in-person worship, you need to remember when you do so, it's just, I don't know, it's not going to feel the same for a while. It's not going to feel the same when we're all kind of sitting spread out. It's not going to feel the same when you wear a mask. They're uncomfortable, I know that. Uh, it's not going to feel the same that you can't run up and give somebody a hug or shake their hand. And uh, we understand also that, that when we start opening back up, uh, there may be some of you that just because of health reasons and whatever, you just don't feel comfortable doing that. And we understand you are not being disloyal to your church family if you don't come back right away. We understand and we still love you. And we're still going to do, con we're going to continue to do online worship. Uh, even after the pandemic is all gone away. And so um, I know that you miss being here. I miss you too. I miss our, our gathering something fierce, as we say in the South. And I miss other things uh, about being able to gather together. I would just be honest with you. I miss going to a ball game, going to a baseball game. And I just look forward to the day when I can go with my family or my friends and go and see the Atlanta Braves play or go see the Rocket City Trash Pandas play. Um, so y'all want to go see the Rocket City? I've got a few people here that might go to a Trash Pandas game with me. So I miss, I miss all of that. I, miss, I love baseball and I miss the sounds and the sights and the smells of a ball game. I even miss the silly things that they do in between the innings, you know, to kind of keep the... Uh, the crowd's attention while they're doing a commercial break or whatever, the camera folks will pan around. And uh, one of my favorite things that they do, well, I like the little race that they do too, but I like when they do the kiss cam. You know what the kiss cam is? Does anybody know what the kiss cam is? That's when the, the camera guys pan around uh, the crowd and then all of a sudden they'll find a couple that is sitting together and they'll freeze frame on that couple and everybody in the crowd can see it up on the jumbotron right and usually the couple is the last ones to see it until people start cheering and somebody elbows them and then they realize that they are on the kiss cam and then they lean over and they kiss each other or not and if it's the or not it's really awkward because it might not be we just don't have that kind of relationship yet this is our first date or whatever um, but so Tammy and I have been to lots of Brave games, and we have, we've never been captured on the kiss cam. And it always disappoints me because I have to tell you, I'm always puckered up, and I'm always ready to go just in case the kiss cam hits us. And the last one, the last Braves game that we went to, uh, it was so hot that day. You just felt like you were going to melt. But I was ready for the kiss cam, and after the kiss cam, uh, did its thing and we didn't get on there well I just leaned over and I kissed Tammy anyway now before you say oh how romantic 
uh, you need to know that I think she looked at me and said something like, honey, I love you, but it is too hot out here for that mess. So, but I said, but sweetie, it's biblical for us to kiss. You know, 2 Corinthians 13, 12 says, greet one another with a holy kiss. Have y'all ever tried that one? You know, I've been trying to steal a kiss ever since I've been in junior high, using that scripture right there. Have any of y'all ever greet one another with a hope? But, but it's biblical, right? And I want to tell you, it never has worked. Not one single time. Maybe you'll have better luck with it than I did all those years. But seriously, it's one of the things that, that Paul tells the church at Corinth, the Corinthians church, to do. And there are six things that he tells them to do in this passage and these six things have to do with peace, with justice, and we're going to look at them, and we're going to look at them from order six to one, uh, in other words, from verse 12 to verse 11, and we're going to be talking about peace with justice, because today is Peace with Justice Sunday, and honestly, because right now in our society, I don't think the church has ever needed to talk about peace with justice more than it does right now. I don't think our nation needs to hear it any more than it does right now. Um, so we're going to start with um, number six, greet each other with a holy kiss. Oh, and by the way, uh, I have some um, I have some props with me today, and I need to give out the props to uh, my daughters, Emily, Kate, and Allison, for making my props, okay? Uh, greet one another with a holy kiss, verse 12, okay? Um, well, Paul's not just trying to get some sugar, as we say in the South. Um, that's not what that is about. Greeting each other with a kiss was a custom in that day. It still is in some countries, you know, kiss on one cheek or kiss on both cheeks. Now, uh, make sure that you hear me on this one because I want to make sure that I'm crystal clear. This is the only one, this one right here, is the only one of these six, six things that I am not recommending that you do when we get back into church for in-person worship. Don't go up and start kissing on folks when we get back to church. Uh, wait till we're clear from all this. And even after we're clear from all this, remember that we're in Gadsden, Alabama, and we're not in Paris, France, and your spouse might kind of object to you going up and smooching on your neighbor, so just keep all of that in mind. But I want you to know the essence of this command, what Paul is asking them to do when he says, greet one another with a holy kiss. The essence is that he wanted them to be in a state of love and affection, genuine love and affection for each other, a place of peace. And if they had disagreements, Lord have mercy, just kiss and make up, will you? That's what he meant. And see, the church in Corinth had disagreements. As a matter of fact, the first four chapters of 1 Corinthians is all about Paul trying to deal with the disagreements instead of being united like they needed to be they were extremely divided they were split up into different groups and factions they were split up into i don't know different parties they some were following this leader some were following that leader some were following this teacher some that teacher these divisions were all over the place and they all had their root listen they all had their root in this mindset that some folks had that they were better 
than others. Some folks in the Corinthians church thought that they were great and that better than somebody else, they were thinking too much of themselves and not enough of just the plain, amazing grace of God. And because they thought they were superior to somebody else, Paul told them, y'all are like a bunch of spiritual babies. Uh, y'all think that you're wise. You, you think that you're ready for the meat of the word, but you still need a baby bottle the way you're acting. And he told them in 1 Corinthians, he said, you're the body of Christ. Each part of the body is important. The eye can't say to the ear, I don't need you. Anyway, that's my loose translation of what Paul was writing. Divisions. Folks thinking that they're better than somebody else. Folks fighting. I don't know, but that sounds awfully familiar to me. Not just in the first century in Corinth, but in the 21st century. So I think Paul's message, genuine affection and peace, is the goal that we're striving for. Genuine affection for each other. All right, number five. This is found in verse 11. Live in peace. Live in peace. In other words, that, another way that you could say this is, is cultivate harmony, cultivate peace. This is the goal. This is the goal that we have to have if we claim to follow Jesus is peace. Now, we know there are different ways that we use that word. There are different ways that we express peace. One of the ways that we express peace is when we say rest in peace. I guess if you're dead, you can't argue with anybody, right? You can't fight and have divisions anymore if you're dead. But I want to tell you, we don't need any more rest in peace. We don't need one more person to die on the streets of our country. We don't need one more unarmed black person killed on the street. We don't need one more police officer attacked and killed when they're in their line of duty trying to protect and serve. We don't need anybody targeted with hate. Enough of the rest in peace, y'all. No one's family needs to have to go to a funeral because of hate. That's not living in peace. That's not the peace that God talks about and that we read about in 2 Corinthians 13. So rest in peace. And then there's also something we say sometimes uh, when we say, hold your peace. Hold your peace. And that's basically like saying shut up. It, it means keep silence. And Lord knows there's a time that we need to keep silent but here's the thing, if we hold our peace in the face of injustice, if we hold our peace when we need to stand up and speak out, then we're taking the side of the oppressor and we're putting ourselves on the opposite side of Jesus Christ. Holding our peace. That's not working anymore. And then there's keep the peace, right? You know, that's what the Roman Empire did in Jesus' day. It was called the Pax Romana. It was the peace of Rome. And they did keep the peace. But you know, there was an awful price that was paid for the peace that the Roman soldiers kept. 
They kept the peace with swords. They kept the peace with spears. And anytime anybody uh, did anything that they didn't like, anytime there was any kind of protest against Rome, the soldiers would come in with their spears and there were swords. And, and so the peace was kept, but the price was the blood of the people flowing in the streets. With enough force and with enough power, you can keep the peace, but it's not the same as living in peace, do you see? And then there's making peace. I think this is where we need to land at, making peace. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 9. He said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Notice he didn't say the peacekeepers, and he didn't say the peaceholders. He said the peacemakers are blessed. The peacemakers will be called children of God. So when things are wrong, and sometimes they are, when there's unrest and turmoil, and sometimes there is, we need peacemakers. We need folks that will work toward the goal of peace and not promote division and not promote violence and disharmony. We need peacemakers. All right, that was number five. Number four, be like-minded. Be like-minded. The New Revised Standard Version says, agree with one another. So if Paul wrote them a letter, and in the letter it said, agree with one another, and this is the Corinthians church, knowing how they were, somebody probably said, what do you mean, Paul, agree with one another? Yeah, right. We can't agree on anything. I think I understand that sentiment in the first century church today. I've thought about this a lot. I, sometimes I think we can't agree on anything. We can't agree on politics. We can't agree on football. We can't agree on, I don't know, denominational doctrine. We can't, we can't agree on how much cayenne pepper to put in the gumbo. So how can we be like-minded? when we disagree on so much, how can we agree with one another? What can we agree on when we have so many disagreements? I think Paul has already spoken that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. And I wanna read that for you. God has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. God has made peace with us through Christ, and God has given us the ministry of making peace with each other. That's the task that God has entrusted to us. And if we can't agree on anything else, can't we agree on that? Can't we agree that the, the, the warring and the disharmony and the destruction and the injustice might be our reality now, but it's not our goal? Reconciliation with God, reconciliation with each other, that's the goal. That's living in peace. And that's number four. We're going from six to one, right? Number three, encourage one another. Encourage one another. 
Verse 11, the New Revised Standard says, listen to my appeal, and it can also be translated, encourage one another, and I think that's a better translation uh, from the original words. So before we go any further, let's remember, we're looking at six things that the scripture tells us to do, and they are all connected to peace with justice, and we're going from the bottom to the top, from number six to five to four to three to one. Uh, living in peace is the goal, the shalom of God, and let's see how these are, t- are, are uh, connected. One is greet, greet each other with a holy kiss. Have a genuine affection for each other um, to, to live together in peace and harmony. Um, and when we are like-minded in our pursuit of harmony, uh, then we can pursue reconciliation. And if we have all of these things going for us, then we can encourage one another. For those that don't have courage, for those that need to be lifted up, we can help. We can lift up. Because the Greek word in verse 11 for this is parakaleo, and it means to call alongside, to give comfort. It's similar to the word in the Bible used for the Holy Spirit the paraclete, the comforter, the one who is called alongside us for help. So what they needed in first century, first century Corinthian church is to come alongside each other, to give encouragement, to be filled with the spirit of the comforter. What we need today is to come alongside one another and to give comfort and to be filled with the spirit of the comforter. Listen, church, our friends are in anguish right now. We cannot afford to hold our peace. Our friends are exhausted right now. We cannot afford to rest in peace, church. Our friends are angry over injustice right now. Even if we're not angry, our friends are angry. And we cannot just be concerned with keeping the peace. We have to make peace, church. We have to encourage one another toward that end. I want to give you a quote, and let's see if you can guess who it comes from. Peace is not merely a distant goal we seek, but a means by which we arrive at the goal. And the person who said that was Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. Peace is the goal, and peace is also the means by which we arrive at the goal. Can you hear that? The peaceful means to work for justice. Peaceful means to work for justice, but make no mistake, peace has to go with justice. If we ignore issues of justice, then we can't really live in peace, can we? And that brings me to number two uh, on our list of six. Put things in order. Put things in order. Let me explain uh, this picture. This uh, symbolizes Red and yellow, black and white, all are precious in his sight. And our country is torn. And Paul says, put it back together. Mend it. This scripture means, look, something's out of whack. Something's missing. Something's broken. Something's torn up. And this is a call to mend what is broken. It's like mending a torn fishing net or setting a broken bone so that it can be used for its intended purpose again. Something's out of order. 
Something's out of order. We need to mend our ways before justice can be done. Before justice can be done, we need to mend the injustice. And we can't just ignore it. We can't ignore it. Fellow followers of Jesus, fellow Christians, we can't just ignore injustice and still call ourselves followers of Christ. And I want to confess and repent to you today in the face of injustice. I have been silent. I want to confess to you my complicitness in this as a Christian and as a minister of the gospel. Uh, there are all kinds of injustices. And I've been silent about it too much. Racial injustice is at the forefront right now. And so I want to say to the members of our church family who are people of color, to the mem uh, members of our community who are people of color, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you had to see what our nation witnessed a few days ago. And while it made me sick at my stomach, I didn't have to be the one to see it as a person of color and to think to myself, here we go again. To my fellow white brothers and sisters in our church and in our community, I want you to know this isn't just a problem for African Americans or people of color. It's a problem for every one of us, and it will take every one of us to put things back into order again. Nobody, nobody really has justice until justice is available for everybody. I think we need to repent. I think we literally need to repent, which the word means to change our minds so that we can change our direction. Putting things in order, putting things in order, you know where it starts? It starts right here. It starts when I put things in order in my mind. When I say to myself, you know, things are out of whack, and that's true, but what is my part in that? What part do I play in things being all messed up? So I can't speak for anybody else, and I won't speak for anybody else, and I won't ask this question of anybody else. I'll ask it of Pastor Sam today. Pastor Sam, what needs to be put in order in your mind in order for justice to be done? And honestly, as uncomfortable as it makes me to, to say this, as uncomfortable as it makes me to think about this, I need to come, I need to come to grips with what it means to be a straight, white, male, educated, middle class member of America's dominant religion. I need to come to grips with the privilege that I have because of all of those things. Now, I could spend time talking about all of the adjectives that I just used because I have privilege surrounding all of them. But let me talk about something. Let me talk about something that, that I've got to get straightened out in my mind, and maybe you do too. And it's about white privilege. See, since the, the senseless killing of George Floyd a few days ago has really brought racial uh, tension and injustice into focus and we're talking about peace and we're talking about justice if we talk about peace and we don't work for justice honestly we're just blowing hot air we really are we're talking about putting things in order that are out of order 
So I need to address this in my mind. And yes, it makes me uncomfortable. I don't like to think about it. But you know what the Lord does? The Lord comforts the afflicted and afflicts the comfortable. Right? So why privilege? It, it even feels funny for me to say that. It, it feels funny for me to think about that because I think to myself, uh, well, yes, I'm white, but I'm not racist. And then I think to myself, privilege? Well, you know, um, I've worked hard. Uh, I've had my fair share of hardships. I've had my fair share of obstacles to overcome. And that's true. I have. But here's the thing. The color of my skin has never been one of those obstacles. That's what white privilege means. So if I want justice and peace, i got to be honest in my mind, Pastor Sam has to, about what I have not had to deal with simply because I'm white. You see, I've never had to worry that the police would pull me over when I'm driving through a nice neighborhood just because of the color of my skin. If I do get pulled over, the biggest concern I have is what my wife is going to say when she finds out I got a ticket. That's my biggest concern. When I was accepted to Emory University for graduate school, a very fine university, by the way, I didn't have anybody say to me, man, the only reason you got in there was because of the color of your skin. I didn't have anybody say that to me. Like my black friends did. I've never had anybody to hate me or to call me names because of the color of my skin. I never had a parent tell me that I couldn't date their daughter because of the color of my skin. I've never had to have patronizing words said to me and, and have to keep quiet because of that because I was the only person that had the color of my skin and I was in a group of people and I was being talked down to. I've never... I've never been called a thug when I've gathered together with my friends who all had the same skin color as me. I've never been denied access to employment or advancement or housing because of the color of my skin. Basically, I haven't dwelt too much about the color of my skin or about race or about injustice. I've never dwelt on it too much in my lifetime. And the reason I haven't dwelt on it very much it's because I've had the luxury not to have to think about it. I've had the privilege not to have to think about it as my everyday reality, not like my friends who are people of color have had to do. And I've got to start with being aware of that. My exposure to racial injustice and racial problems started when I started first grade in 1967 right after desegregation. Now I'm thankful that we've made progress and I've seen that progress over the years but you know what let's be honest it was an issue in 1967 when I started first grade it's still an issue today. Racism was a sin in the 60s it's still a sin in 2020. It's our sin. Let's own it. And let's repent. And then maybe we can start to mend what's being torn apart in our society, in our world right now. Then maybe we can put things back together. Then maybe we can do what's number one on the list. 
in 2 Corinthians 13. Rejoice. Rejoice. New Revised Standard says farewell. But rejoice, rejoice was the word they used kind of like, they used it for hello and they used it for goodbye. They, it was kind of like aloha, right? Um, it means this. It means may you experience God's favor. May you be conscious of it and may you be glad for God's grace. Rejoice is what happens when peace and justice come together. I want to share uh, a really cool verse of scripture from the Psalms in closing. This is Psalm 8510. Psalm 8510. Steadfast love and faithfulness will meet. Justice and peace will kiss each other. Justice and peace will kiss each other. Can you just imagine? You know, I've got a vivid imagination. I can just imagine justice and peace sitting next to each other in a ball game and getting caught on the kiss cam and actually kissing. Wouldn't that be enough to make us rejoice? Listen, church, the world is watching us every day on the jumbotron. Church, the world is watching us. Let's show them peace with justice. Let us pray. Oh Lord God, may your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven and let it begin with me. Yeah.